There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Exodus chapter 17 verse 15 says, And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. But stop and we'll just pray real quick. God, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I do pray that uh, though we can have fun of trying to do these would you rathers and fun time travel and all that silliness, giraffes, which are awesome. But God, that we would just take this moment and just, and just let that moment be what, what it was. And just right now, just appreciate that we can come into your presence as we gather in your name and we can experience you by your word, through your spirit. And so, Lord, we just pray that that would be something that we would all just uh, enjoy right now, not to allow ourselves to be distracted by the things that have come before or what might be happening on even later today. But just right here in this moment, as we open up your word, we hear your voice and experience you to become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So as we looked at last week, as we made our way uh, through, as the nation of Israel has now become a nation moving through the Red Sea. They came to a place of bitterness. God turned that bitterness sweet. We saw that the hunger was satisfied with the bread from heaven. And then that torrent of water flowed from the rock that was struck. And all of that imagery, God wanting to communicate to us how Jesus is our rock who was struck open, giving us living water. And that his water he gives that we would never thirst and again and that our soul would actually have satisfaction that that jesus is the word made flesh and that is to be our daily bread to sustain us and again we were shown there at that place of bitterness the tree the tree of god and, and by faith we're taken through that valley of the shadow of death into his garden and made a citizen of god's family an offer that he has made to the entire world Again, understanding as we looked at all of that, that Jesus is the rock of living water, the daily bread from heaven, who by the tree of Calvary can make any bitter circumstance sweet. With that, we move right in now in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. It says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, we're going to just stop right there, and, and we're going we're gonna to do a, a, a... There's a reason why we're only going from verse 8 to 16, it's because we're going to, what may seem like, okay, Bryce, this is a weird tangent. Where are you going? Hold on with, with me. We'll get there. So we hear about these people, Amalek, and, and a question that you guys, when you come to this is, okay, who are these guys? Where did they come from? Why are they doing this? So Israel has come to Rephidim, this place where the water's flowing from the rock, and this, these people, the Amalekites, they're attacking them. Okay, well, who are they and why are they doing this? So let's answer that first question. Who are they? Interesting enough, if you guys know, okay, right, Jacob named Israel becomes the nation of Israel. The Amalekites, sadly, are from the line of Esau, Jacob's brother. 
We find out about this in Genesis chapter 36, verse 11 and 12. It says, The son, sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. There were also the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. So this, this people are actually from Esau's son who married this woman, Timnah. Now, you, when you go a little bit later in those genealogies, and this is why, again, sometimes I get it when you guys are going through Scripture and you're like, oh, man, these genealogies, and you're chewing through them, and we can just pass over them. Believe me, I get it why it would be easy to do that, but it starts to lay the groundwork for understanding, okay, who exactly are we talking about? And I love how even, again, over and over, what we should be seeing from the very first book of the Bible, it's one of the saddest things is this is all one family. We are one family, one race, and how much we're constantly going at each other is one of the most heartbreaking things. We see it even in our own homes. One of the things that's interesting about this concubine of Esau's son, Timnah, is that as you go to Genesis chapter 36, verse 20 and 22, it says, these were the sons of Seir, the Horite who inhabited the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibian, Anah, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These were the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. Again, remember that name. And the sons of Lotan were Horai, Himna. Lotan's sister was Timna. Okay, so again, bunch of names, but you just got names of people and locations. So what we just saw from here is the Horites were a people group who lived in the hill country of Seir. And what we know is from Genesis 32.3 is that Seir was a part of Edom. We even just kind of heard it here. Okay, so we have this, this mountain of these groups of people, and so we have these Horite clans up in the mountains who then mix in with Esau's family line. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 10 and 12 tells us this, the Imnim had dwelt there in the past, a people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants, like the Anakim, but the Moabites call them Imim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau disposed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, possession which the Lord gave them. We move on to Deuteronomy 20, 22, or 2, 20, and 23. It says, that, also, uh, that was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them from uh, before them and they disposed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir. When he destroyed the Horites from before them, they disposed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, uh, the Kaftorim who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. So again, we're, okay, we're, we're trying to find out who are these people. And we're getting, again, their genealogies and where they're coming from. And what we just read, that according to Deuteronomy chapter 2, in those two sections, we learn that the Horites were defeated and displaced by the Edomites. Again, so remember those names, Edom being another name for Esau. And if you guys caught that, hopefully you did, I kind of emphasized it a couple of times, is that the Horites that get blended in to Esau's family are all listed within a group that is incontestably giants, like the Anakim. In fact, it made a point to say that. 
And then, so then now that we have this, we're having this, okay, so the, the Anakim, these giants, are listed within this family that you have the Horites part of, that Esau's family comes in to dispose and then marries into, and that's where we're going to get the Amalekites. Now, Numbers chapter 13 also wants to make this clear to us. In verse 32 and 33, And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out. So this is, remember, when they're going into the promised land. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that, the devour, uh, that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The word there is Nephilim. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, came from the Nephilim, and were grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So again, we see these people groups from Deuteronomy chapter 2, again, in both those passages. And, and they are the people who are the, the Rephaim. And the Rephaim are the Anakim. And the Anakim, according to what we just read in Numbers, are the descendants of the Nephilim. Again, all of these things should be taking you back to Genesis chapter 6. Remember when we went through that. Again, this can seem like, okay, where are we going? What, your Zam, Zumans, Anakims, Rephaim, okay, what are, what are we saying? Is what we're saying is that, again, Think back to the days of Noah and where these Nephilim came from as the sons of God, these fallen angels, had relations with the daughters of men and produced these giants, the Nephilim. And what we're saying here is that the Nephilim had a clan of descendants called the Horites. These Horites marry into the family of Esau, Jacob's brother, and they produce the Amalekites. And so now we have again, that is this people. When we say who's attacking, it is Amalek whose people are attacking the Israelites here at this place. That is who is, this battle is about. Now again, why do I, where, what, what should this be happening as you're reading through this? Is, is when we're talking about giants and Nephilim, again, this goes all the way back and should, if you guys have been following along with us from the very beginning, this should be echoing to you the days of Noah, the Tower of Babel, this is in this moment, just from this verse eight, what we're being told is once again that this is chaos raging against God's order. And as we think of that in this moment, as we see just right here in this very moment of these Amalekites with all of this known history that comes in and all of this imagery echoing through what, what, what is happening in this moment, is again, as we see chaos trying to rage against God's order, is then it should stop and ask, we should ask ourselves, where did we see God's order? Perfect and complete. It was the garden, Eden, the purest intersect of God's realm and ours. So again, as we start to understand that, and we're going back to the garden the days of Noah, the Tower of Babel, is to understand that the Tower of Babel is Babylon. This is stuff that is going to echo throughout all scripture and all time. And all of it is a sentiment that is anti-Eden. And remember, not anti like just against. When we think of things like anti-Christ, this isn't somebody who is just going to try and be against Jesus. It's someone who wants to stand in the place and go, no, I belong in this place. The Antichrist is somebody who says, no, I should be worshipped as God. The Antichrist is that person who, again, is that servant of Satan who said, I 
want to be like the Most High. I want to be on the throne of congregation. I should be worshipped. And every bit of one of these moments, and all of it carries with this imagery of these Nephilim who again sought to destroy this intersect, destroy God's people. That is what the Tower of Babel was all about. And that is, once again, it is these people and this place that God has brought them to where they are raging against his children. And let's read verse 9, because this is so beautiful what, what then comes next. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now again, for you guys who like to take notes who follow with me, this is the first time in Scripture that you're going to see Joshua's name brought up. And this is not a coincidence. I want you guys to, again, kind of follow with me. Is just, just kind of think just chronologically of who we're talking about here. Joshua would have been a young man during slavery in Egypt. So this was an Israelite man who spent his teens as a slave in Egypt. He has seen the 12 plagues. He has seen the parting of the Red Sea. He has been there when God provided the, the bitter water made sweet. He saw the food, the manna from heaven, and the water gushing from the rock. And interesting enough that his parents actually named him Salvation. He was named Hosea. That was his name, but yet we're told in Numbers, chapter 13, by the way, when the spies are going into the land to see the giants. It says that the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out of the land, and Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So the first time we see Joshua, we don't know that Moses has actually already changed his name, that Joshua's parents named him Salvation. But the first time we're seeing him is in this imagery of chaos raging against God's people, wanting to destroy the intersect. And let's just go through this because what did Moses do with his name? The Joe of Joshua, it, 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 is, it is Yah. It is a hyphenated, just like Moses' mother's, the first one, of Jacobed. Joshua, that Yah is Yahweh. Moses takes the boy salvation and changes his name to Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. What's so amazing, guys, in this moment is, you guys have probably heard me say this before, but if you're following with me, is that we see the satanic enemy. We see it striving to destroy God's children. And in the middle of this anti-Eden chaos, God brings Joshua, whose Greek form, the Greek form of Joshua is Jesus. The name Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, God is salvation. Yahweh saves. And so in all of this moment, the thing that was declared in the garden echoed throughout history and finalized on Calvary. We see in the midst of an enemy that wants to destroy our ability to walk and talk and be with God. And he sends Jesus so that we can once again walk in Eden with our Savior God. Continue on, it says, Moses says, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. 
And I love this because what we're seeing this is this is before the battle, but we see that Moses says, this is my plan. And, and, the, and the imagery here again is, is that Moses raises his hands in a position of praise, declaring how and who will win this battle. In a moment of praise is that he says, I will stand there with my hand lifted up, declaring that it is God who saves, the one true God. And again, if, if this wasn't enough, is what Moses is declaring is, again, remember how he told the people before the Red Sea that God would fight their battle. Now here as the Amalekites, these descendants of the Nephilim, come to rage chaos on God's people in order. Then Moses says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to praise the Lord because I know that the battle is his. Where's another time in scripture that we had someone stand up in the place to declare the battle belongs to the Lord? Well, if you remember, a young man by the name of David who would go face to face with the Philistine giant. And standing before him in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 through 47, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The same David who wrote so many of the Psalms, and in Psalm 121, verse Two, or at verse 1 and 2, we're told, I lift my eyes to the hills from whence, my, whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. So we see this, this battle that is about to rage on. And Moses says, here's the plan. We're going to praise God because we know that this is all in his hands. He says, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So Moses is up there with the rod. He's holding up the rod. I'm declaring and praising God, but he is old. And as Moses would drop his hands down and be like, what's happening? When my hand's up, Joshua's doing well. I drop my hand and then the Amalekites start to do well. And now again, he's standing up on a hill. He told Joshua this is going to happen. So what else do you think is happening? Joshua starts noticing that as Moses' hand goes up, oh, we're doing great. It's his hands, oh, this is not going so well. So what happens is Aaron and her come up and go, well, we can see this. The guys can see this. And they hoist up Moses' hands. Just hold it there. Hold out that praise. The human frailty is, is just so real in this moment. It's to understand this was not some strategic. It wasn't because Joshua was a great soldier. It wasn't because he was a great general. It wasn't because Moses was a great statistician. It was a place to say when we stand in a place of recognition that it is God who will win the battle in that place that that is where victory comes. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. 
this book of remembrance would actually be before the nation of Israel would finally go into the promised land. That is where you get the book of Deuteronomy. It is the moment where Moses goes, let's go back over how we got to this moment. It's a sermon, a lengthy sermon by Moses calling to remembrance all that God had done. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 and 19, it says this, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. Now, I, I want you guys to, I know we've had a lot of info, but as, as we get a retelling here in Deuteronomy, we're actually given a little bit more information about this battle. So we just heard that Amalek comes in and starts fighting. Okay, why? What's going on? I want you to actually hear exactly how this attack from the enemy went down. What Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So again, this Nephilim army these children of Amalek from the tribe of the Horites, they didn't step up and say like the Philistines did, let's go face to face. No. As they were making their way to Mount Sinai and the women and the children and the sick were in the back, Amalek came up from behind and started slaughtering them from behind. They were killing off the weak, the sick, the vulnerable And that is when Moses went out and found Joshua and said, it's time to get to work and here's how we're going to win. And understand that as this victory came down, what did God say? It's just interesting that it was not even just for our remembrance, but very purposefully, God says, I want you to write this down and I want you to recite it in front of Joshua. I want Joshua to be reminded of this battle. Why? Because we heard in Numbers chapter 13 that Joshua would be one of 12 spies that as they make their way into the promised land, what did they see? Giants, the descendants of the Nephilim. God said, I want Joshua to remember this moment when these people attacked you and how I brought you victory, how the battle was God's and it was Yahweh who defeated the enemy because it would be Joshua and only Caleb after walking into that land when everyone else said, we can't do this, there's Joshua that that Joshua goes, no, I remember. I remember what the Amalekites did. I remember what these people are capable of. And I remember how God, Yahweh, saved us. It says there in verse 15 that Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This war with Amalek will ripple throughout all human history. And it's echoed just in Israel's history. Again, this attack by Amalek on Israel, they're told never to forget. Hundreds of years later, when a seemingly insignificant son from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, the first king of Israel, is told by God, it's now time to take out the Amalekites. It's now time. I told you never to forget. And it's time to wipe them out. And in a move that would eventually cost Saul his throne, 
he almost completely wipes out the Amalekites except for one. He says, Agag, the king of the Amalekites, only to have a few hundred years more later that a man by the name of Haman from the tribe of Agag sets up an entire plot to have the entire nation of Israel wiped out. Only to have the very mechanism that he sought to destroy Israel by, a tree of hanging, turned against him. Again, this is indeed the war against humanity, but it's not by fellow humans. Sadly, like Haman, like Agag, and many of the tribes that you'll read through and today. Sadly, they are just puppets of an enemy of a greater, infinitely greater arena. So we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Your battle is not against the Hamans, the Agags. No, see, there is an enemy from the very beginning that has been seeking to destroy you and your relationship and walk with God. And it will use people, sadly, as puppets for its bidding. That is the legacy of the Nephilim. That is the legacy of Babylon. But you can raise your hands in praise because the war is one. The chaos has been utterly defeated by Jesus. Yahweh, our salvation, who we can now walk forever with and become, we become the new Eden to this world. We become the intersect by which God's realm and this world can interact with their Savior. And the war is won, but, but the battles are rippling throughout our daily life. Again, we, we've seen that the people were taken from the land of the dead to the living, brought into the new Eden, given bread from heaven to satisfy their hunger, and provided torrential water from the rock. And it was in that place that the enemy attacked the most vulnerable amongst them. And the same is true today. It's just as true today as it is then. The enemy will seek out, where are you most vulnerable? Where are you most vulnerable? He's not, he doesn't try to play nicely. He doesn't try and play fair. He is looking to whom he can devour and destroy. But the answer is just as true today as it was then that we can look to the Lord because the battle belongs to him and we can raise his banner high so that all people can know that Jesus is the eternal victory for you and the whole world. In the book of Matthew, if we end this out today, when Jesus has been baptized by his cousin, comes up out of the water, God tells him to go out into the desert. He has been completely obedient to his Father in heaven. He is being led by the Spirit into the desert, and it's then that the enemy attacks. It's then that Satan comes at him and tempts him. And again, the answer is just as true then as it is now. Jesus gives us 
the weapon. It says that Joshua won with the sword in his hand. And moment after moment, Jesus responds to the enemy in the desert out of Deuteronomy. He's quoting to him Deuteronomy over and over, the book of remembrance. I will remember no matter what circumstance I'm in that every single battle belongs to the Lord and I can look to the hill where my help comes from because I know that this war is already done. That the enemy had a mechanism it intended for death and God goes, I will use that to destroy my enemy and bring about salvation. That is what this battle is about this battle that seems like a, a small blip at the end of a book, but yet will echo throughout the rest of Scripture and truly throughout all of human existence. And to study this and look at this is to, for ourselves to understand the war is won. Yes, I will still face battles, but I know where my victory comes from. It comes from the Lord, from Yahweh who saves. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time this morning. And Lord, I just pray right now that uh, as we, we listen to this and we, we hear again of your amazing victory, Lord, that we know we have an, an enemy that turns our family against us because we are all one blood, one family, and yet sadly so many of our family members are used as puppets in this, in this war that you have already declared victorious on, but as these battles rage on, Lord, that we would understand that each and every one of us who have placed our faith in you have been taken from the land of death to the land of the living, that you have satisfied every hunger by your bread, by your, your word made flesh, the outpouring of your spirit with that torrential water that can come upon us. And even in that place, the enemy will attack us at our most vulnerable, but even... The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are No Mere Mortal. Mortal.